Welcome into the Saturday show here on the Zone Sports Network. I'm Jay Catch. Got Alex Lundberg along for the ride here on a Saturday afternoon up and down the Wasatch Front. Lundy, I wish we were started off this show under better circumstances. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, kind of blindsided by this. Blindsided is probably the right term to use in this circumstance. Uh, as you guys heard, Austin Horton uh, kind of break on our airwaves about, what, just about two hours ago. It was kind of right at the start of the Utah Car Sense. Very early, news, yeah. news started breaking that former Utah Jazz legend Mark Eaton has tragically passed away at the age of 64. Uh, doesn't make sense. Rarely does. But we have lost one of the pillars of our community. Uh Mr. Eaton Mark was more than just a Utah jazz legend. Anybody who knew Mark, he was a restaurateur, a motivational speaker, just there's so much to say about this man. And we're going to do our best to memorialize him on today's show, but unimaginable, just unimaginable loss that we are talking about today on the show. Yeah, it's just one of those things that like you instantly feel the impact of it. Oh, like no I mean doubt. Me personally, as someone who never knew Mark Eaton, uh, never like officially met him or anything, sure. um, was really kind of too young to even remember his playing days. But I grew up knowing the name mm-hmm. and hearing everybody talk about him and his greatness, um, you know, knowing that he was a part of the community. And I still feel it. Yeah. Well, I think that... I- I think you are not alone in that. My earliest memories of the Utah Jazz is really young, young person. So he, Mark Eaton played for the Utah Jazz from 1982 to 1993. So he played 12 seasons overall for the Utah Jazz. He was a two-time Defensive Player of the Year, a one-time All-Star, just a pillar of that era of Utah Jazz basketball. My earliest memories are those early 90s teams that he was on. That is the only reference point I have of him playing for the Utah Jazz. I'm still relatively young like yourself, so I don't remember his the entirety of his career playing in the NBA, but growing up, you would see him at community event after community event. He opened multiple restaurants here along the Wasatch Front. He was a motivational speaker. The Four Pillars of a Winning Team was a book that he published, and we had him on the show that I produced, DJ and PK, in the morning to talk about it, and he talked about a lot of the lessons he learned playing for Frank Layden and Jerry Sloan with the Utah Jazz, playing alongside John Stockton and Carl Malone. Those were the kind of the chief things, the four points he made in that book come from his days playing for the Utah Jazz. So just an awful, awful situation to have to discuss on the show today. For those of you who may be unaware, just tuning in, uh, Mark Eaton passing away at the age of 64. According to uh, reports from the Summit County Sheriff's Department, uh, a passerby found Mark Eaton in the roadway uh, uh, called the authorities. They showed up, tried to revive him. There is he was he was out for a bike ride. He left for his home about 8 p.m. in Summit County to go for a bike ride and never returned home. Obviously, an APV put out to find him, etc. Uh, they did find him. They don't believe that a vehicle was involved in the bike crash, and they were able to resuscitate him. And he passes away at the age of 64. Uh, first off, right off the top here, we need to express our condolences, our thoughts, our prayers, whatever it might be, need to go to the Eaton family at this time. Just an awful, awful, tragic situation. Yeah, it's just, 
it's one of those things that's it's really beyond words for me. I just yeah. I really I mean, since, you know, I was producing Car Sense just barely, you know, sure. with, heard Austin say that. Uh-huh. And that was my first exposure to it. Pulled open Twitter to see everything else. Been trying to kind of formulate how to put this into words. And that I, I just. I've got nothing. I don't think you're alone in saying that because it's just it's one of those things that you don't. In this industry, we love talking about the upbeat, the good news stories and whatnot. And when legends of Mark's caliber pass away, it's no fun. Plain and simple. Because we all out there listening. And by the way, if you guys have thoughts, memories, uh, comments, whatever it might be about the life and legacy of Mark Eaton, we would love to have them on air with us today. There are multiple ways to interact with the show. You can tweet at us. Lundy, you're at 247Lundy, 247Lundy, L-U-N-D-Y. I'm at Jacob C. Hatch. You can feel free to tweet at the station as well, Zone Sports Net. Feel free to call in as well, 855-340-ZONE, 855-340-9663, or you can utilize our app. We have a 15-second audio feature called the Open Mic. Pull up in our app, uh, record your 15-second take, your thoughts on Mark Eaton, send those in. Uh, of course, they will be sent in, and Lundy will be able to access them. We can play them on air. Love to have your guys' interaction, your thoughts, your memories, whatever you've got about Mark Eaton, and just as we kind of uh, memorialize his life and legacy, because there are not a lot of Utah Jazz players, if we're being honest with ourselves, Lundy, that have come to Utah, and Mark Eaton's backstory is absolutely phenomenal. He was working as a car mechanic, ends up going to play at UCLA, gets drafted in the NBA. He lived an incredible life just simply playing in the NBA, but it did not stop once he retired from the NBA in the early 1990s. As we have mentioned, he went on to open multiple restaurants. It was a restaurateur, became a motivational speaker, this is a really, really cool story. A guy who very much made Utah his home, and the Utah Jazz family, the NBA, the Utah Jazz community, as well as the NBA community as a whole, we're all mourning his loss today. Yeah, it's you know, and it's kind of play off of you know him being a member of the community. One of the things that basically, like, really, my only Mark Eaton story, mm-hmm. um, if you can even call it that. Uh, <laughs> But, I mean, I was at Costco, and this was, you know, not super long ago, fairly recent. I was just there for, you know, routine kinds of things. Okay. And look over down one of the aisles and saw Mark Eaton and immediately recognized him for who he was. But he was just there. It's hard to miss Mark Eaton. Right. Seven foot four. Yeah. (laughs) Just a huge person. Mm -hmm. Just there as a regular person. Yeah. And... You can tell the, the the respect that the community has for him because there were a lot of people who very obviously recognized who he was. Sure. And, I mean, I, I don't think it would have really bothered him. He would have been very gracious and accepting, you know, had people gone up. And I'm sure that maybe, you know, what I saw, you know, nobody bothered him. But maybe some people, you know, there were probably people that day that did recognize him, go up, you know, interact with him. And he was likely very gracious to them, very warm very welcoming but it was just a cool experience on my part just to see him there as a normal person you know not ever seeking out that attention not turning anyone away if they came to him Mm -hmm. just going about his life as a regular person 
Yeah, I can tell you this much, Mark Eaton, and I had, I'll, I'll be frank, I had limited interactions with him, but when I did interact with him, he was as kind and gracious as anybody out there. I... <laughs> He would he he was he wasn't above anybody either. I know he towered over people at seven foot four. Let's be clear about that. But he was so gracious with his time. If anybody, I, I know there are multiple people probably listening to the show who can uh, attest to this. He would come and uh, do appearances at Utah Jazz games, and he would stand out on that concourse and take picture after picture, and never, ever thought he was above it. He un he. he he was appreciative of what the Utah Jazz did for him in his life. He wanted to give back. Uh, yeah, just uh, it's one of those things that it will uh, forever live on with me. What he did for the Utah Jazz and just the community of Utah. He was a he was a fixture up there in Park City. I know multiple people who have been up there milling around in Park City, and you see Mark Eaton whether he's out for a bike ride. Uh, he actually would ski at times. By the way, I've seen pictures of it. Him riding a horse at seven foot four would be a sight to behold. I, I can wholeheartedly believe that, but just today's one of those days on radio that I don't feel adequate to memorializing him, but we're going to try and do our best. Yeah. I, I wholeheartedly agree with that where it's just, you know, I mean, you and I, we had completely different plans for the show today oh, and trust me. kind of on the, <laughs> at the drop of a hat, I've had to pivot and it's, yeah. you know, it, it really, it's it's the it's the, the best we can do, sure. you know, and it's something that we're happy to do is mm-hmm. to try to to pay tribute to and 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 honor such a legacy as his. So let's kind of lay out the rest of the show for you guys. Coming up at the bottom of the hour, twelve thirty, David James from DJ and PK is going to join us. He'll give his uh, thoughts, his memories. He's been here for a long time in the Utah community. Has interacted with Mark Eaton quite a bit. Same with Steve Klauke, of course, the play-by-play voice of the Salt Lake Bees, but also worked for the Utah Jazz organization for many years as well. He will join us at the in the one o'clock hour to talk about Eaton, and of course, we'd like to have your guys' interactions as well. If you guys have them, feel free to reach out. We'd love to have you guys on air with us to interact. But also on today's show, we'll, we'll work in some stuff about the Utah Jazz. We'll talk about that here in a minute about Game 3 tonight. They are taking on the Memphis Grizzlies in Memphis, Tennessee at the FedEx Forum. And we are looking forward to that game, but wish it was on a um, happier note that we were watching them play. Yeah. And uh, we do actually have our first caller okay. of the day here to share with us uh, their thoughts on Mark Eaton. Uh, we have Jordan on the line. Jordan, thanks for calling in. Hey, thanks for taking my call. Jordan, uh, share with us what your memories of Mark Eaton have been. Well, that's the thing is that uh, I didn't grow up liking sports, but uh, my memories are actually with my cousin who grew up loving the jazz. Okay. And he told me everything about all the older players besides Malone and, of course, Stockton. And one of his favorites was that. Um, shout out to my cousin, Michael. Um, I also had a, a quick question here, because I know you guys know more about the Jazz and everything. Was Mark Eden really close to this team specifically, or like talk to them or anything like that? Do you know of? So, and do you think the Jazz will play harder because of what happened today? 
I know one player in particular, uh, Rudy Gobert. Rudy Gobert and Mark Eaton very much had a mentor-mentee relationship. Almost, it became almost like family. They very much were connected at the hip. Both of them former Defensive Players of the Year. Uh, They very much were close. And I know Mark Eaton has kept very close ties to the Utah Jazz organization as a whole. So I know that the relationship with Rudy Gobert, I'm sure Rudy is feeling it more than most because of his relationship. But Jordan, I, I would think that the Utah Jazz... They'll be going out there and playing from number 53 a little harder tonight. Yeah, and again, uh, again, I may have not grown up watching him live, but I ever since I started liking sports when I went to college and started watching jazz, I went back and saw a lot of highlights, and he was a beast. He's... beast defensively <laughs> and an amazing uh, person from what I could hear of the stories about him. So a really sad day, and uh, I hope the Jazz can win one for him and uh, do it in his honor. No doubt. Jordan, thank you for taking the time to call and appreciate you weighing in with us. And I think the rest of the Utah Jazz fan nation is out there with you saying, you know what, let's go win one for Mark. Uh, and I think that's a good stepping off point here, Alex, to talk about Game 3 tonight. Uh, game time tip-off set for 7.30 p.m. Mountain Time right here on the Zone Sports Network. 6.30 pregame show. Jake Scott, Tim Lacombe will get you ready. And, of course, uh, David Locke and Ron Boone will take over as uh, game time gets closer. They go live, what, uh, 10 minutes before tip-off normally, about 7.30 straight up? Uh yeah, they, they usually take over about 10 minutes before the scheduled tip. Okay. And so, yeah, David Locke and Ron Boone will be and on I, at about 7.20. I know that Locke and Booner will have plenty of thoughts about uh, Mark Eaton as well. So, uh, Alex, let's talk about that game. Uh, if, if, once again, if you guys do have thoughts, memories, whatever you've got, whatever you want to reflect on the life and legacy of Mark Eaton, we'd love to have your interactions. Feel free to reach out via social media. Feel free to reach out as Jordan just did, 855-340-ZONE, or use the open mic feature on our app. You can send in your take, 15 seconds of audio. We'll work those in throughout today's show. But let's talk about the game tonight, Alex. We're looking forward to this. Series tied 1-1. It felt like in Game 2, the Utah Jazz, at least in my my opinion, I felt like they kind of reestablished order. Donovan Mitchell returned. Uh, it was good to see him out there. He was on a minutes restriction, but he looked in supreme control of everything he's able to do on the basketball court, and that is coming after a 17-game, six-week absence. Yeah, you know, and I think that Quinn Snyder put his performance best. Uh, after the game, he said that, you know, a lot of guys coming back from injury look to put their stamp on the game. They go mm-hmm. out and they, they almost try to do too much. And he said Donovan did a really good job of letting the game come to him. He didn't force anything. It was, you know, if he had the shot, he'd take it. Yeah. If he didn't have the shot, he'd find somebody who did. And so he really made a good impact on the game by not really trying to make too much of an impact, but rather by playing in the system and playing the game that he's been playing all season. Yeah, and that was the the nice part about it. He easily could have come in and said, you know what, this is my team. I've been sitting on the sideline for far too long here. I'm going to go out. I'm putting up a 50-burger. He could have had that mentality. But instead, he came in. He understood his role. Of course, he is the alpha on this team, and he is the guy. But he, like you mentioned, he just fit into how the game flow was going. The Utah Jazz in Game 2 set a franchise playoff record with 141 points in that victory. 
I thought it was very impressive. They took a massive punch from Memphis in that third quarter in particular. 15 straight possessions that Memphis scored on to open that quarter before the Utah Jazz got a stop. And it got things got dicey there for a little bit. With about two minutes to go in the third, though, it felt like the Utah Jazz had kind of withstood that punch, punched back a little bit and regained control, and then Obviously, they stood another miniature run in the fourth quarter, but then they rolled to that victory. I was impressed with how Donovan Mitchell just kind of came and fit right back into the lineup. I, you and I talked about this last week, how we we were anticipating at that point that Donovan Mitchell was going to be back for Game 1. Whole debacle about him not playing Game 1, then playing Game 2. But we talked about in the lead-up to that how we felt that Mike Conley in the last two regular season games, how he had just kind of stepped in and seemingly was... No, felt like there was no time off, no delay with him fitting right back in. It felt like very much the same thing for Donovan Mitchell and the Utah Jazz. And that's a credit to what Quinn Snyder and company have built. They've just built a system that these guys are able to just go out there and get the job done. Yeah, and you know, Donovan stepping back on, onto the court and just filling in, you know, fitting in his part of the system, it seemed to make everybody else more comfortable, more loose. The game was able to flow through them you know, perfectly, even when Donovan went to the bench for, for rest and he wasn't on the court, it still felt like for the most part, you know, that third quarter kind of excluded, but it felt like the jazz, even without Donovan on the court playing, Mm -hmm. you could feel that his, his, him being available and his return to the game had that impact where the rest of the team just felt comfortable and they felt in a rhythm and they were able to execute the way that they needed to. They did. That that was the nice part about it. And I felt like the Utah Jazz made a statement in that game going out there and showing, okay, you know what? We're back in control of this. We're looking forward to the game tonight. Uh, I, I have full expectation of the Utah Jazz being able to go to Memphis and win this game, go up 2-1 and just reestablish what most people perceive as order and control of this series. But of course, we'll have to wait and see how things play out tonight. And I, I really like what Utah showed in that Game 2 victory. And even in Game 1, the Utah Jazz, they very much came close to winning that game. That was the crazy thing about it. So we got... So let's... uh, By the way, we're going to step back out to the phone lines here in just a moment. One other thought on that was that uh, the Utah Jazz, in Game 2, very much that offense came alive. Seven guys in double figures for the Utah Jazz, overcoming a 47-point performance from John Morant that we do need to talk about. We do need to talk about John Morant, and we'll get to that. It's kind of the one thing we haven't talked about yet. But let's get back out to the phone lines. Uh, Ben wants to weigh in now. Ben, thanks for taking the time. How are you? Hey, guys. How you doing? Doing all right. Thanks for calling in. Do you want to talk about Mark, Mark Eaton, I, I would assume? Oh, yeah, of course. Well, go ahead. Uh... Wow, this is a hard one. I can understand. So, I've only ever actually met him once, but I have seen him several times. Every time I've ever seen him, he was always always easily the biggest man in the room, but nothing was ever about him. It was always about the people he was with. He was always interested in their lives, in their work, and it never really hit home for me until I was an intern with the Jazz. I actually got to meet him once. Okay. And he was, I mean, it is, I'm, I'm sitting down at my desk, of course, and it was 
tendencies lead to feel even more dwarfed by this massive man that's standing over you. But I was just surprised. He came into the office one day and he looked and looked at my computer and saw the, the videos that I was editing and he suddenly took interest and was just talking to me and made me made me feel special. I and Yeah. Go ahead. It was it was just one of those things where it's like, okay, well now I all of a sudden care about restaurants. <laughs> <laughs> I said care about fine dining now and it was like Wow, this this guy is amazing, and he had that he had that effect with people. I've heard I've heard just hundreds of stories just all throughout my life, just of people meeting Mark, and it was all it's all the same sort of situation. Like he was absolutely selfless, and he embraced community like few few jazz legends have and ever will. It's it, he was a really special man. He truly was. And I think, Ben, thank you for taking the time. And I, I think what you, you mentioned right there is, yeah, he was he was never bigger than the people he was around. There's no doubt about that. And it didn't matter if you were a five-year-old who had no clue who Mark Eaton was and your parents are telling you to go get a picture with him, or if you're, a, like you mentioned, a guy who worked for Utah, you said you were an intern with the Utah Jazz who uh, was able to interact with him on a limited basis. It didn't matter. And that... I think that speaks to how great of a man that Mark Eaton was. So we're going to get out to our first break here on the Saturday show. On the other side, David James of KUTV as well as DJ and PK right here on the Zone Sports Network, a guy I'm proud to call a colleague and friend, a guy I work with on a daily basis here on the Zone Sports Network. He is going to join us to talk about Mark Eaton. DJ has been here a long time. He has had multiple interactions with uh Mr. Eaton, and I'm sure he will have plenty of memories to share. We'll also probably get some thoughts from him on Game 3 tonight for the Utah Jazz. We'll get to all of that coming up right here on the Saturday show on 97.5 FM, 1280 AM, and the Zone Sports Network. Welcome back to the Saturday show here on the Zone Sports Network. Big thank you for joining us here on this Saturday afternoon. Weather outside, absolutely glorious. Hope you guys are doing great wherever you might be out there. Thank you for taking some time to join us here. David James going to join us here momentarily to talk about Mark Eaton. Also some thoughts on Game 3 of the NBA playoffs tonight. But uh, plenty going on. By the way, if you guys have interest in watching the Utah Jazz amongst your fellow Jazz fans, well, come down to the arena tonight. They're having a watch party here at Vivint Arena. They'd love to have you guys out here. I believe doors open around 6 o'clock, if not 6.30. If you guys want to come out and watch the Utah Jazz on the big screens in the lower bowl, be a fun, fun night. I would encourage you guys, if you don't have anything else going on on a Saturday night, sounds like a pretty fun night for you and those that might be closest to you. You can spend time with Jazz fans. I believe concession stands will be open as well. Should be a fun, fun night out here at the Smart House. Uh, David James joins us now, of course, KUTV, as well as host of DJ and PK in the morning here on the Zone Sports Network, a guy I work with on a daily basis. DJ, how's it going? 
Oh, you know, uh, best of times, worst of times kind of stuff, right? There is no doubt about that. Uh, let's start with the worst of times, I guess is we'll, what we'll term it here, DJ. Uh, when did you hear about the Mark Eaton news? And funny enough, I actually saw your tweet about it was the one that broke the news to me. Uh, yeah, I heard about it this morning. I did not know about it last night. Um, what I've been told is he went out for a bike ride about 8 o'clock. And I was told that uh, he didn't come back. And his wife, Terry, went looking for him and uh, kind of came upon the scene. Someone had already summoned uh, medical personnel, I guess, emergency personnel. And uh, he was taken to the hospital. And I don't know if he was pronounced dead at the scene or uh, at the hospital. I'm not, I'm not quite clear on those details, mm-hmm. but uh, he passed away. I, I think the working assumption is it was a heart attack, but I think it would take an autopsy to really confirm that. Uh, he was only 64 years old, and he's... He's in great shape. He's out bike riding, but yeah. I think all of us who are hardcore basketball fans know that um, the the history of the health of the big men of the game is is not good. You know, for every Bill Russell who's living and active into their 80s and a great story, uh, there are so many big men that just died too young. Moses Malone, Daryl Dawkins, you know, Mark Eaton. Uh, unfortunately, that list is just is just way too long. Yeah, DJ, you've been here in the community for a long time. If I'm not mistaken, you came and re- came to Utah right at the tail end of when Mark was finishing up his playing days with I, Utah Jazz. I did. My first season, I got hired in August of 92, and his last season was 92-93. And he played a little bit in that season. I do remember interviewing him post-game in the locker room back when such things were possible. Um, but he played a limited amount that year. If you look at the Jazz win totals, they had a slew of, you know, Jerry Sloan became known for the 50-win season. Mm-hmm. Just just rolled them out one year after another. And that's the exception. I think that was a 47-win season. But they didn't have a backup to Mark, and he was having major back issues that forced him to retire. So he played a real no- limited number of games. And they had to use the Brown Bear, you know, basically their backup power forward, because Mike Brown was backing up uh, mm-hmm. Carl Malone, had to become their center. And without that intimidator in the middle of the floor, you know, it's one thing to play well. I think, I think we've seen that in this playoff series in game one with the Jazz and the Grizzlies. Derek Favors played well. A- anybody who's watching the game, you don't need – he played well. But he doesn't have the intimidation factor. He doesn't have Rudy's size. So even though he wins some of those battles, there are more of those battles because guys aren't intimidated. And that's what happened in 92-93. Without Mark there to intimidate people, defensively they really slipped. He was an all-star. He was a two-time defensive player of the year. He was a very good player, and I think everyone knows the story about him. You know, high school basketball didn't go well. He wasn't as good as he told the Salt Lake Tribune in a feature I've retweeted that I really suggest you go read, um, where he describes himself as a, uh, you know, his, his basketball, <laughs> his NBA career was a miracle. He wanted mm-hmm. no part of it. Yeah. <laughs> he participated very reluctantly in um, but he had a J.C. coach who really believed in him who talked him into uh, don't quit on basketball, auto mechanic isn't for you, and played at Cypress and UCLA and got drafted late by the Jazz as a project, but ended up you know, playing more than a decade. And, uh, and then staying in the community, and I think as much as people loved him as a good player and his numbers in the Raptors, and he was an all-star and two-time defensive player of the year, I just, looking at Twitter after I posted the story, um, there were just so many people who were recounting their one interaction with him, and it was so great. There were people who had photos in all sorts of different locations, just living their random lives and bumping into them. And then a lot of people who just, you know, had a kind word, spoke at their school, posed for a photo with them. There were just so many great interactions because he stayed in the community, lived in Summit County, 
And I, I saw actually on Twitter, somebody said that they saw him at, uh, at the jazz game this weekend. Um, so, you know, as well as recently, he was a, he was a common fixture there. They'd often yeah. show him, show him on the scoreboard, the jumbotron and, you know, show him on TV. And I would see him in the halls and talk to him. And, uh, he's got a lot of friends in the media. He was a great interview. Always had interesting stuff to say. Um, you know, said it in an interesting manner. I, he was a renaissance man after his career ended. He, you know, he and some partners started Tuscany. Yep. Uh, you know, there wasn't a lot of fine dining options in Utah. And so he created, it was Jeff Hornacek's one knock on the town. He says, we love being here, but my wife and I like to go out to eat. And there aren't a lot of options, you know? And so Tuscany has been in the community. My gosh, I, I'm 20, 25, maybe, I don't think 30 years. I think 20 to 25 years. It's been a huge success story. So he's got the restaurateur. He, wrote a book and has done a lot of motivational public speaking corporations, you know, on how to be good teammates and how corporations um, act need to act a lot like successful sports teams. And so he was in demand of that, did a lot of traveling. Um, yeah. A lot of, a lot of great memories and a life well lived. Uh, DJ, you just recently mentioned that, you, you know, you've seen a lot of the people sharing their interactions with him uh, on social media, uh, their various stories. Uh, did you have a favorite interaction with Mark Eaton during your time here in the media? Um, yeah, he, uh, after a playoff loss, uh, I was doing radio back in the early days, a 1320K fan. And um, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Carl had come up, you know, with a bad game in the clutch. Okay. And, and he was just, Mark was such a jazz fan. Just like, something's got to be done about Carl in these big games. They just they got to find a way to get him on track. And, they gotta, and I remember thinking, well, right before I got here, there was an SI story, and everyone assumed that Carl was talking about you. <laughs> <laughs> now here you are talking about Carl. I don't know that either one of you were wrong. <laughs> you both wanted it so badly. Uh, so that was, that was kind of funny. Uh, I didn't say anything to him about it. I don't know that he saw the irony of it. He was In that moment, he was just a jazz fan who was frustrated, who knew that you know, the, the franchise rests on Carl's shoulders and can only go as far as Carl can go. And actually, I'm trying to think what series it was. I think they won that series, too. I think it was the – I'm not positive, though, but it might have been – I'm pretty sure it was the first-round series with the Rockets in 98 when they got down 2-1 to one Okay. and came back to win the series and go to the finals. And I think that's when it was. And Carl had a bad game early in the series, you know. And, and so, anyway, um, yeah, that was, that was pretty funny. Uh, it's hard to limit it to just one, though, because he was such a pleasure of a guy that, you know, just, you just see him in the, even, even walking the other way in the, in the, on the ground level of the arena, back when we could do such things, uh, and you see him coming, and even if you just talk to him for 15 seconds, you know, he's in a good mood. And, hey, Mark, where'd you fly off and speak to? Oh, I was speaking to <laughs> fill in the blank name of the company at whatever. But uh, it was great. It was great because I knew I'd be able to plan my way to get back here for this game tonight, you know. And what's going to happen? And then, you know, he'd tell you something, then he'd go on and talk to somebody else. And I mean, and it's not just me. It's not like I had some special role. If you had uh, Wes Ruff on, he would tell you the same thing. If you had Brad Rock on, he would tell you the same thing. If you had Steve Loom on, he would tell you the same thing. Bowler, you know, on down the line. And it's just kind of how Mark interacted with people, you know, he was, it was, it's funny. I think in the story, you find out that he was really uncomfortable in his own skin because of his height and the basketball expectations. And just, you know, in general, being a teenager is hard anyway. And, and so he had all of that. And I just think later in life, he figured it out and got to a place where he was comfortable. And because of that, he was great to be around. 
Um, and if you read that trip story I mentioned that I retweeted, uh, and shout out to Kyle Goon, who doesn't work here anymore. He's down, you know, working in LA covering the Lakers as a beat writer, but he was at the Tribune and he went into the archives and posted that. And it's, you kind of see that where Mark, you know, as he got older, um, you know, got reflective, you know, why didn't I like basketball? Why did I like it? Why wasn't I good at it? Why did I become good at it? But move beyond the X's and O's and the winning and the losing into, you know, who you are as a person, what you should value, why other people value you, and that's okay, but don't wear their expectations. And you could see that, you know, over the course of his life, he had to work through a lot of that and just ended up in a good place. And that was why, you know, no matter who you were, you liked bumping into Mark, you know, a jazz fan with one interaction. Um, his teammates, I know that Stockton got notified right away and he notified Carl Malone right away. You know, whatever run-ins you have with a teammate because you don't think a teammate's playing well one night, that's all That's all details. And it's all long since water under the bridge, you know. Um, so, yeah, there you go. Well, see, and I think, DJ, what you said right there is people, when they interacted with him, even if it was just one time, they came away with a positive impression of him. He never felt yeah. like he was bigger than you. I know he's bigger than you physically, but he's not bigger than you in the moment. And I, that's what I think everybody that I've seen talking about him on social media, et cetera, has indicated as yeah. such. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I agree. I agree completely. You know, and I don't like to speak for PK on a lot of things, but I think I can speak for this, that, you know, he... He would concur with what you just said. You know, we had Mark on the show several times, mm-hmm. and we always loved, loved having him on. And, you know, it's interesting. Uh, everything ties back to today. And I know there's, you know, obviously a big playoff game tonight, but he really became a mentor to Rudy Gobert. And I think Rudy Gobert would come out fired up anyway. Um, but now I have no doubt he will come fired up. I think that um, early in his career, you know, there's a, there was a story and a photo of them. I can't remember who did it. It might have been the trip. Might have been the D News. I'm not sure. But anyway, a photo of the two of them. And I think Rudy went down to Tuscany and had lunch with him. And, you know, they developed a bond. What's it like to be dominant defensively but not have the offensive expect, uh, offensive abilities, especially early in your career, that people really want and expect out of you? So I think, uh, I think if Rudy were on the line, he'd tell you, man, Mark was good for me too, you know, and generous with his time and all that. So I think you're spot on there, Jake. Uh, so – you mentioned that you think that Rudy is going to come out fired up tonight. Uh, transition kind of to tonight's game. What are your expectations for what's going to happen in game three? Uh, Memphis is going to come out fired up. They're 1-1, they believe. Now, I think as a Jazz fan, you can sit here and say, ah, you're in Memphis, you're the eight seed, we're the one seed, and you only got a game because Donovan didn't play. <laughs> and, you know, there may be some truth there, but, you know, what is important isn't the truth, all caps, you know, what is important is your truth. You might be a massive underdog, but if you think you've got a chance, well, then you're going to play like it, and that's going to make you a much tougher opponent. So I expect a really good game out of the Grizzlies tonight, and I think the Jazz are going to have to. I think we should go back to Carl Malone. And Carl picked this up from Jerry or maybe from Frank Layden, um, and then he really owned it. He would always say, big road games, we got to weather the storm. And I think the Jazz are going to have to weather the storm tonight. You know, Minnesota is going to punch, and then the Jazz will have to take it and have to punch back. I think that um, a lot of analysis of this series, depending on where you are and how you look at it, but I think what I've really settled on is Memphis is good. And I don't really want to hear people talk about Memphis's flaws. or and They got them. They're not a perfect team. Uh, but Memphis is good, you know. And I think the Jazz are better. I think the Jazz are going to win the series. Now, I thought Jazz in five when it started, but Donovan didn't play in the first game they lost. 
I think this usually goes six now. I expect, I'm not sure who will win tonight, but whoever wins, I expect the other team to win Monday. I would think this is coming back 2-2. I think it's more likely the Jazz are up 3-1 than the Grizzlies get to 3-1, but I, I really think 2-2 is overwhelmingly the most likely outcome. If I'm wrong, then I think the Jazz are up 3-1. I think the Jazz have a talent advantage, I think especially in the bench. And the benches get shortened. Um, but the benches have been really important in the first two games because both teams have been in foul trouble. And I think we're going to see less of that as the series goes along. Um, referees read, referees hear, referees see, and referees don't need to be told. You know, yeah. I'm not, I, I don't think that there's text messages and back-in-the-day faxes going out telling referees I'm not that deep into the conspiracy theory stuff. Um, but everybody's human and everybody's paying attention, and to referees this is their world too – and nobody wants a series decided by players fouling out in seven straight games. And this isn't just a Jazz Grizzly thing. I think if you go back and read the Blazer comments after game three, the same thing is going on in Portland and Denver. You know, there have been foul troubles. Nurkic has been in a lot of foul trouble. I think a lot of that is going to go away. As we get deeper in a series, I think you're more likely to see let them play kind of games. Let them play. And that, you know, the Grizzlies are good. You turn someone as big and as skilled as Valanciunas loose in a let-them-play kind of game, that's going to be hard for Derek Favors. You know, Valanciunas is just a, a lot bigger. The same way Derek Favors punishes 6'8 guys in the post, well, now he's given up. You know, he's got a few inches and a few pounds, so now he's given up a few inches and a few pounds. So I think Rudy, Rudy matching Valanciunas' minutes as much as possible, you, get, you don't want to mess too much with your own rotations, and depending on what they do with Valens units, it could mess with their own rotations. But I think that they need, the Jazz need to keep Rudy on the floor with Valens units as much as possible, especially if they see it developing into that kind of let them play kind of atmosphere. I'll say, and I think that's we're all kind of waiting to see tonight, DJ, is how the referees are going to call this game early, just kind of get a feel of what it's going to be like because we saw two pretty rough and tumble games here in Salt Lake City, and we're going to see what happens with tonight's game. But, DJ, thank you for taking the time. You think it's 2-2 coming back, though, is what, you, you, what you're expecting. I would think that's the most likely. Yeah, 2-2 yeah. coming back, and then the, the Jazz with their – you know, everyone's talking about the Jazz can't win it all because they don't have the playoff experience. Well, in this matchup, they have the playoff experience. Yes. You know, if they get deeper in the playoffs, they can run into a team where they, you know, they largely, Mike and Jordan accepted, haven't been to a conference final, and they're going to, you know, they'd be at a disadvantage. But at this point, they get the playoff experience over the Grizzlies, and I think that and their bench depth in the long run is going to make the difference. And it does seem personal on some level. It does. <laughs> I, I would agree with you yeah, on that. Dylan, Dylan Brooks has gotten under Jazz fan skins, but every series needs a villain, so what, right? Mm-hmm. But – he got under uh, Mitchell's skin. Donovan Mitchell was entirely too fired up for the first quarter of a playoff game. <laughs> and so that, I think that bodes well for Jazz fans. You know, there'll be no letdown. There'll be, there'll be plenty of intensity from the Jazz. But the Grizzlies are good, so the Jazz are going to have to absorb a run at some point early in this game, probably early. Well, DJ, thank you for taking the time, carving out some time on a Saturday afternoon for us, and we'll look forward to that game tonight, and obviously we'll hear you back here on Tuesday with DJ and PK in the morning, all right? All right. Talk to you then. 
Thank you to David James for taking the time to join us. Coming up later on in the show, we'll also have Steve Klauke on the program to talk about his memories of Mark Eaton, efforting some other guests as well along the way, see what we uh, can get as we round out the 1 o'clock hour coming up next. Though we'll get to technical fouls, uh, usually one of our favorite segments, but we have a little more of a heavy topic to talk about in that regard. We'll get to all that next. You're listening to The Saturday Show right here on the Zone Sports Network. You're coming from the street with dirty shoes on your feet. That's a technical foul. And if you switch the radio to some modern music show, that's a technical foul. If you touch the thermostat, you'll get hit with a bat. Cause that's a technical foul. You will feel my wrath. That's a technical foul. Personal file, 69, office. He was giving them the business. A technical foul. Welcome in. This is the technical fouls portion of the Saturday show here on the Zone Sports Network. A big thank you to all of you for taking the time to join us wherever you might be here on this Saturday afternoon. Uh, Alex, normally technical fouls is a really fun and lighthearted segment, but this week we need to tackle a little tougher subject than we usually tackle right here. Yeah, you know, and you had you had tweeted about this, uh, I think yesterday, maybe the day before. Um, Whenever it happened, yeah. But yeah, you 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 tweeted about it. We had talked about it earlier. Uh, we're we're both of the, kind of the same mind when it comes to this. Um, but there were three jazz fans after the after game two that were uh, banned from future events. Here, they were removed during the game by security for uh, inappropriate and in at least one case racially charged comments made to the family of Ja Morant. Um, and we, we've seen as well across the NBA, a few other examples uh, with uh, Westbrook getting popcorn dumped on his head, yep. um, a fan spitting on Trey young at Madison square garden. And yeah. It's just, I mean, you know, this is one of those technical fouls, immediate ejection for good reason, because you know, it's it, sure. It's not just Utah fans, but this is, as I told you earlier when we were talking about this, mm-hmm. in the two years that I've worked here at The Zone, those three fans bring the total up to five. Five fans in two years mm-hmm. that have been kicked out and banned for racially insensitive comments and like hateful charged comments. And that to me is mind-blowingly unacceptable. Like I, I can't fathom being in any moment and thinking that that's okay. As I spoke out on Twitter about and said, anybody within my sphere of influence, and I don't claim to be some know-it-all who has thousands of people under my thumb, etc., but anybody who thinks that the behavior that has been displayed, whether it is dumping popcorn on somebody's head, spitting on an NBA player from the stands, or in this case, using racially insensitive or frankly racially just repugnant things, at a family member of a of an NBA player, in this case, John Morant's family, I won't stand for any of it. Plain and simple. I'm with you. Five people, that's five people way too many, honestly. And you know what? You There are people who feel entitled to say and do whatever they feel like when they have bought the tickets that they're, they're at the game at. My mentality on this whole deal, and I'll let you elaborate on your point here in a minute, Alex, is my whole point in this discussion is that be a fan. Fan is short for fanatic, but be a fan of your team. 
You can boo the other team, sure. That's fine. But when you make it personal, you've crossed a line that should never, ever be crossed. I I 100% agree, you know, and especially when it comes to these racial comments. I mean, it's just, it is disgusting. It is despicable. It Mm -hmm. is beyond all comprehension. And, you know, this is something that it, it, it has been brought up a lot over the past year. Just the discussion of racial tensions and things like that across our country. And I I have heard a number of people that I know and people that I don't know that complain and say, keep the politics out of sports. But you know what? When these people bring this these kinds of politics into sports, it's hard for us. We can't ignore ignore it. it. Yeah, because you know what? Talking about this in this case is sticking to sports Mm -hmm. because you brought it here. And that's it's just, you know. Like, like you said when we first started this segment, this is a segment that we like to keep fun and lighthearted. It's something that we like to, you know, have fun with. But this is something that we can't ignore. This isn't something that we can pass over in favor of something lighthearted, which is typically what I like to do in most cases. Yeah, you sure. Know, yeah. I, I don't like having, you know, serious conversations, but this case warrants it. Mm-hmm. We need to talk about it. We need to have this discussion. And if you're listening and you behave in this manner... You need to stop and change. Sure, yeah, 100% endorse what you just said right there. If, if, if this is something that you think is quote-unquote okay, no, it ain't. It, it, plain and simple, it is not. And as I have said to you when you first came to the zone, when I've said to multiple guys, and I'm still relatively young in my media career. I am a decade in at this point, officially, uh, and... As I have talked to people who are just coming into the industry and working for The Zone in particular, because I've been here pretty much the entirety of my time working in sports radio and in the media, as I have told, and it was something that was taught to me early on in my career, once is a mistake. Twice or more, it's a problem. Well, what do we have here with the Utah Jazz? We have a problem. It is a problem. I've heard multiple people say, well, it's just a few bad apples. And Alex... What did what is the full phrase of the bad apples comment? That saying goes, "A few bad apples spoils the whole bunch." Exactly, and that's the problem: is these quote unquote bad apples are spoiling it for the rest of us. I am very very proud to be a born and raised Utah. I think you have a similar mentality of that. I love talking up this state. I wish less people were moving here because my, ho- <laughs> yeah. my house prices are insane. But that's another point for another day. But the the point is serious here: is that. It puts a negative connotation, a negative perception out there of Utah, and we, we're we better than that. Plain and simple, we are better than that. So let's shape up. Yeah, 100% agree. You know, there is a perception problem for this state. Mm-hmm. And I, I willingly recognize that most of the people here are not the problem. But those of us that are not the problem need to step up and confront those who are the problem. There were a number of fans that say, did that during the game. There were fans in that game who stood, weren't standing for it and called over security and helped mm-hmm. handle the situation. Hats off to those people. Yeah. Special shout out to the Rukert brothers, uh, Mike and Daniel. I know them from college. Okay. Um, you know, was very, I worked very closely with both of them during my career there. Um, they were sitting right next to Jaws' parents. Um, Michael bought Jaws' parents' beer, mm-hmm. uh, you know, pretty early in the game, I think, and then Jaws' father reciprocated by buying them the next round of beer they had a great back and forth um you know 
they like I saw them post, you know, the videos of them kind of just talking and enjoying each other's company. Special shout out to them and the other fans that were there that kept it civil, mm-hmm. that had fun with it. Sure, there was back and forth, but it was playful. It was appropriate. It didn't cross the line. And when others did, they stepped up and they they put their foot down and said, no, this is not how we behave. Yeah. So I am hopeful that we can weed out all of the this this racial insensitivity, this just racism, big R racism, it needs to go away, sure. But I'm proud of the Jazz fans who stood up for it. I'm just hopeful that we don't ever have another incident like this because, I, uh, frankly, I'm sick of talking about it. Yep. <laughs> so uh, we'll just leave that there. So technical foul on those three fans and any other fan who's done this, uh, trust me, it goes across the NBA, as we mentioned. Madison Square Garden had it. Philadelphia at the Wells Fargo Center had it. We can all be better. Let's all endeavor to be better. Let's let's remember we're all human beings here. We all need to treat each other as such. All right. We'll come back on the other side. We're going to be joined by Steve Klauke. Of course, he is the play-by-play voice of the Salt Lake Bees, but a guy who's been working in this market for a long time, has some memories of Mark Eaton that we wanted to hear from. So we'll get to that next right here on the Saturday Show. When the night has come and the land is and the moon is the only night we'll see. Welcome back to the Saturday show here on the Zone Sports Network. Hour two of the program underway now. Uh, pleased to be joined by the play-by-play voice of the Salt Lake Bees, as well as the Weaver State Wildcats, Steve Klauke. Steve, how are you, sir? Good, Jake. Uh, unfortunate circumstances for me to be on the program, but uh, happy to be with you. Absolutely. I appreciate you carving out some time for us. I know you got a game coming up tonight, game three of the series between the Round Rock Express and the Salt Lake Bees. I want to get your thoughts on that here in a moment, but let's start off with the news at hand. Obviously, the tragic passing of Mark Eaton. Uh, it sounds like overnight is when everything went down, broke earlier this morning. But, Steve, you've been in this market for a really long time. I just kind of had to throw you a softball here off the top. What are your memories, your interactions, just your overall thoughts on the life and legacy of Mark Eaton? Well, you know, he, he is the Renaissance man uh, from the standpoint, you know, uh, a guy who uh, was discovered underneath the car working uh, as a mechanic because that's something he loved to do and eventually turned basketball into a, uh, a livelihood for him that led to him being a restaurateur, motivational speaker, uh, author, uh, just an all-around kind of guy and just uh, uh, the kind of guy who treated everybody the same. It was really interesting when I first came in 1991. Uh, he was really the, the, the one, one of the players on the jazz that uh, kind of taught me the ropes on how to be around the team, what you should do, and he was always grateful. Matter of fact, we were sitting, it was funny, we were sitting poolside at the hotel in Los Angeles because uh, my first ever road trip with the jazz was uh, the uh, time we were playing the Clippers in the playoffs and got uh, you know holed up in our hotel during the uh, Rodney yeah. King riots and uh, and you know, we just got to talking and uh, uh, it was one of those things where he just kind of said you know uh, just to let you know the players really respect you because you're the first radio guy we've ever had that would actually come to practice and so I thought that was that was kind of neat and, and I think it was the next morning uh, he's having breakfast with uh, John Stockton and uh, the uh, PR guy Kim Turner, and I'm I'm going to go sit at the coffee shop as well to have breakfast. Uh, go sit at the table by myself, and Mark waves me over and says, "Hey, come join us." And 
course, John kind of got a look of panic on his face, like, wait a minute, you're having a media guy come over and join us for breakfast? But uh, all in all, it was great. And that was the kind of guy Mark was. He didn't, he didn't see uh, you know, differences in people. He was a guy that uh, you know, didn't care how much you made or, or, or what you looked like. It was one of those guys that just uh, was fun and interesting to be around, even you know, after his playing career, had a chance to, about two months ago, three months ago, uh, to have lunch with uh, Mark and Thurl and Frank Layden and some of the old media guys, people like Dick Rosetta and Steve Brown, and uh, just had a nice lunch uh, at uh, Tuscany. Even though the restaurant wasn't open, Mark sure made sure it was open for us to have lunch on that given day, and it was just li- fun listening to the, the stories from uh, those days. See, and that's the thing about it, Steve, is you have a frame of reference that my earliest memories of the Utah Jazz are from my very young childhood watching the tail end of Mark's career with the Utah Jazz. But me growing up here in Utah, I'm born and raised Utah, I know about Tuscany. I know about his being a motivational speaker. I knew he was a fixture up there in Summit County in the greater Park City area. You could see him at any given time, it felt like, whether he was riding his bike, riding a horse somewhere. He just did so much. I, I think Renaissance Man is the perfect phrase for who Mark Eaton was. And when you consider the kind of the entirety of his life now, where he came from, he had a coach who really convinced him, hey, continue to give basketball a try, even though he was being a mechanic at that time. Just mm-hmm. an absolutely incredible story to consider. Exactly. And again, he loved being a mechanic. He wasn't sure mm-hmm. about basketball. I don't know that early on he actually not even liked the game. He certainly didn't love the game. Yeah. It's something that kind of grew on him over time. And obviously, you know, it opened a lot of doors for him to do other things. And so it was one of those things that he was grateful for the opportunity uh, to play basketball. You know, it's interesting, too. He always had a, you know, a wide variety of people that he was around. A great example was uh, just this week. I mean, Thursday, Wednesday and Thursday night, he was in Chicago. Uh, to see the White Sox play the Cardinals, but not really so much to see the White Sox play the Cardinals. It was uh, he had befriended somewhere along the line the umpire Joe West, mm-hmm. who on Wednesday night set the record for the most games umpired in the major leagues in in, in history. And he's there at a party, and he's there with. Uh, Paul Krause, the former Minnesota Vikings uh, defensive back, Jim McMahon was there, some other celebrities from the sports world were there, and it's just yeah, amazing how he uh, got was able to connect and make all these friendships with people, but then again, it wasn't all that amazing because of the guy, kind of guy that he, he was. Uh, so you, you've kind of mentioned a lot of his you know, off-the-court kinds of things. We know that his number is retired here in the rafters for his on-the-court uh, contributions, but what would you say in your mind or in your opinion would be his, what, what was his most impactful contribution off the court? Oh boy, that's, that's a tough one because he, he was involved in a lot of uh, charity work in town that uh, a lot of us probably don't know half of. Uh, uh, he, he was a guy that was a, uh, a pillar of the community, willing to help out when needed. Uh, and it was one of those things where, uh, you know, if you needed uh, the quote-unquote celebrity to help out a cause, he, he was there. But he would more than just show up. He would be you know, seriously involved in whatever it was he was doing. And so uh, that kind of person is uh, few and far between. And it was uh, uh, always uh, fun to see him, regardless of uh, where we were at the time, to, to run into Mark and talk with him and all that. And he was just an, an, an amazing person from that standpoint. I, I'm still stunned, Steve, that you were the first radio guy to show up to practice. I would have thought that. Yeah, that was the I mean, It used to be practices. Yeah, it was, uh, it was you know, the two beat writers, uh-huh. Steve Loom and uh, whoever was with the, the D News at the time. And uh, I guess my predecessors on the show really didn't uh, 
uh, do that kind of thing. And uh, I just, uh, at the time, I didn't think it was a big deal. But uh, Mark, uh, you know, obviously told me that uh, apparently it was. So it was, uh, you know, it was great to hear. And he was a big supporter of the ball club when baseball came here, too. He befriended uh, our owner, Joe Buses, at the time. He had a couple couple of years there. He had a Mark Eaton celebrity softball game uh, at uh, what is now Smith's Ballpark. He would uh, usually beforehand, when we were at home, would uh, come up to the booth a couple of times and promote it. And then, of course, the game itself would always be played when the team was on the road. So I never got to see any of these celebrity softball games. But he was involved and had raised a lot of money for charity with these softball games. Yeah, Steve, you obviously, you, when you first got here, you said it was 90, 91 when you came, is that right? 91, yeah. Yeah, so you've been here, yeah, wow, three decades. Is that, is that three decades this year then? It'll be, yeah, it'll be, it'll be 30 years uh, in August, and it turns out that my first year here was the was Mark's last year in the NBA because of the back problems that, yeah. that forced him to retire. Jeez, that's, it's crazy to consider, Steve, because you've been a, uh, I'll be honest, a soundtrack part of my growing up years here i can tell you that much i've listened to many a bees game with you over the years but it's it's incredible just to consider uh the impact that mark had just on the community at large because we've been seeing people on twitter and on social media as we've gotten ready for today's show very few people had maybe more than one interaction with him but i think to a person they would all say that they never felt like he big time them Obviously, he loomed over you because he was the biggest human being that most people probably ever met at seven foot four. But he was never above talking and just letting people know that he actually genuinely cared about them. Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. And it was it was always interesting over the years. Uh, the late Dave Blackwell and I would be on remote, and uh, Mark would be uh, a guest at the remote on a regular basis, whether it be uh, a granite furniture up in, in uh, Layton or uh, the old Incredible Universe down here in, in Sandy and all, all right, that. And, yeah. Yeah, everybody, and even Dave to a certain extent, would uh, make uh, comments in regards to his height, and I'm thinking to myself, He's probably heard all of this and is sick of it, but he he let it roll off his back, I guess, because he he never you know didn't wince or he, he didn't you know snap back and say enough's enough uh, about these height jokes and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, the way he handled it, uh, I guess the way he handled his height was uh, was uh, 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 unbelievable because I, I I certainly would have gotten tired of it uh, early on. You know, on the floor. You could almost say that Mark was partially responsible for John Stockton setting the steals record because John could take more chances going for the steal, knowing that he had the big eraser in the paint. That's I mean, a, there was no, you yeah. know, they had the illegal defenses, but as sure. a whole, Mark could uh, protect the rim as, as well as anybody. And so he was a guy that uh, they could count on if they made a mistake or if they went for the steal and didn't get it, he'd be there to make up for their uh, mistakes. Well, I said I think that's funny enough that we we talk you talk about that, but we also look at the current jazz uh, with Rudy Gobert. Obviously, there have been multiple jazz players who have said I can be more aggressive on defense simply due to the fact that Rudy's there as a deterrent for anybody who may get past their guy. Exactly, exactly, and that's uh, you know it was funny because uh, uh, Coach Sloan always used to talk about the fact that uh, you know most teams would try to funnel opposing offenses to the baselines to make it more difficult to score. But the Jazz defensively, philosophically, was to try to force him into the middle so they'd have to run into Mark. And so he might have had you know several thousand block shots, whatever that total was, but the same case with Rudy, the number of altered shots mm-hmm. is probably three times as much. There's no doubt about that. Uh, Steve, 
Tonight, the Salt Lake Bees are back in action. Uh, they've lost the first two games to the Round Rock Express. What can we expect tonight at the ballpark? Well, it's going to be interesting. Uh, Max Stassi on our injury rehab assignment from the Angels will probably be in the lineup again. Uh, Kean Wong, who had hit safely in 16 of the first 17 games, he got called up today, so he won't be at second base. So uh, it's going to be interesting. Uh, Round Rock is a, a team, the Texas Rangers AAA affiliate, that's played well so far, even though they came into Salt Lake with a five-game losing streak, and the Bees had won four in a row. But for some reason, it looks like the Bees have left their bats in Las Vegas, only scoring four runs in the, in the first two games of this series combined after I don't think they scored as low as four in any of the six games that were played in Las Vegas. So hopefully the bats will come alive. It's military appreciation night tonight, so it should be a, a great night at the ballpark. Looks like the weather's going to cooperate as well. So uh, hopefully uh, the bees can get back on track with the W here tonight because uh, going into this series, they were at 500 and haven't had a winning record since they were 1-0 and after opening day of 2019. Jeez, okay. <laughs> Steve, with the, with the game coming up tonight and the bees finally back in action after the last year off. Um, you know, Salt Lake has seen a lot of, you know, good players, big names come through, most notably Mike Trout. Uh, who on this current roster right now would you say is the, the most standout name that, that people should take note of? I would say there's one A and one B, and that's Joe Adele and Brandon Marsh, two of the top prospects, not only in the Angels organization, but in all of minor league baseball. Uh, Joe just had an unbelievable series uh, in Las Vegas, six homers, ten runs batted in in six games. Uh, Brandon Marsh has been struggling a little bit of late, but he got a late start to the season due to a, a shoulder problem that caused him to spend time at extended spring training. So those are the two guys I think uh, are going to be uh, parts, big parts of the future for the Angels. Matter of fact, Adele did spend some time all of 2020, but struggled with a few things. And Joe Madden, the Angels manager, had him sent down to minor league camp early this year, so he knew that he had a lot to work on, particularly on the defensive end. He made some spectacular catches in Las Vegas, but sometimes struggles with his throws. And, you know, to be able to play uh, outfield in the major leagues, you've got to be able to do all. And, uh, and Madden has already said, despite Joe having a hot bat of late, they're going to be very patient and bring him along slowly. There's no rush to bring him up to the big A yet. Steve, I'm going to steal a question from David James that he was talking about earlier this week on DJ and PK in the morning. But at the major league level, he he said that, that he feels like there have been a lot more injuries through this early part of the MLB season so far. He said he didn't have any science to back it up. Have you noticed anything of that uh, in that in regards to that trend, or is it about average for what you've experienced? I, I think it's it's a trend, but it's not just this year. I think maybe over the last four or five years and. You know, there are going to be some people uh, who are employed in this uh, line of work that probably won't like what I'm going to say. But in the 27 seasons now that I've been with uh, the Salt Lake baseball team, uh, the biggest difference is there have been more injuries since the addition of strength and conditioning coaches than we had before. I'm not so sure that, uh, I mean, they have their ideas, but I'm not so sure what their ideas are, are coexist with baseball. Baseball is a game of flexibility, not a, uh, a game of strength. Ernie Banks you know, wasn't uh, a built guy. He was slender, but he had great wrist. Hank Aaron, great wrist, mm -hmm. flexibility, and that's where they generated their power. They didn't generate their power with muscles. And I think uh, the emphasis on strength and conditioning, while it has its benefits, I think is being done the wrong way at, at, in baseball, and it's causing more and more injuries. 
interesting. That's something I hadn't really considered, but you think about it, they're in the, I guess in the last 20 years is really when guys have started to really bulk up, if we're being honest with ourselves. Yeah, both honestly and dishonestly. Sure, but yeah. I know that, <laughs> uh, I know at our level, it's been what, only about 10, 12 years since uh, uh, they've had strength and conditioning coaches at AAA. Mm-hmm. And uh, again, uh, that's where I, I think I see more injuries. Uh, I, I actually thinking on it, just kind of you mentioning that, I'm thinking back, I'm like, well, my early years growing up, I watched guys like Ken Griffey, who he didn't seemingly change his body physique at all his entire career, and mm-hmm. pretty wiry dude, and that's kind of the, kind of the, it was kind of the body type for an MLB player for many, many years. Yeah, exactly. It's, 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 uh, uh, when they say that the guys are muscling up on a ball, I mean, Shohei Otani's built, don't get me wrong, yes. but uh, here's a guy that he's got the, you know, uh, the flexibility that you need, the way they teach it maybe uh, in Japan, and that's why it was it the other day he hit the hardest ball in mm-hmm. the history of the uh, stat cast with, a, I think, his home run to right field. Uh, not only was it uh, measured at 117 miles per hour for exit velocity, but it made it from the bat to the stands in three and a half seconds. So that was a missile that he hit the other night. Absolutely incredible. Well, Steve, I can't thank you enough for carving out some time for us today. I know you got a lot on your plate, but uh, they'll be able to hear you tonight. Uh, I believe 6.30 is when you guys go live here on The Zone. Is that correct? 6.30 indeed. And then... Uh, 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 rarity back-to-back day games tomorrow and Monday, so come on out and enjoy the sun uh, on Sunday and Monday as well. Again, the uh, whole ballpark is open uh, seating now with uh, uh, the COVID restrictions relaxed, and so just to go to slbs.com to, to get the tickets and uh, come on out and uh, enjoy the uh, the great uh, summer-like weather we're going to have the next few days. I'm going to have to get my kids. My kids love going to the ballpark and maybe there on Monday. I'm going to have to come say hi to you. Sounds good. All right, Steve, thank you again for taking some time to join us. Appreciate it, guys. There you go, Steve Clauck. You can't thank him enough for taking some time on a busy Saturday for him to join us. Had a blast talking about his memories of Mark Eaton, obviously. If you guys do have an opportunity, get out there. The ballpark this time of year, as it starts to really get warm, we're going to be in the 80s for the next few days. I think it gets to the 90s next week. You can't beat the weather at Smith's ballpark this time of year. It's hard to beat anything about Smith's ballpark. I mean... You know, just the view, the the environment, just the feel of everything. It's it's one of my favorite venues for any sport that I've ever been to. I'm right there with you. So if you have a chance, get out and enjoy the game. Like Steve said, go to slbs.com, get your tickets. Uh, they've opened it to full capacity crowds. Uh, it should be a fun time and encourage you guys, if you have an opportunity to get out to the ballpark, please do so. All right, we will take a break here. We'll come back on the other side. We'll get to our five minutes of, but we'll also continue to reflect on the life and legacy of Mark Eaton. If you guys have your memories, your interactions with you, you'd like to share with us, Feel free to weigh in, 855-340-ZONE, 855-340-9663. Feel free to use the Zone app as well. Record your 15 seconds, your thoughts on him via the open mic feature. Send those in or interact with us via social media. Lundy, where can they find you? I'm at 247Lundy on Twitter. That's 247-L-U-N-D-Y. You can follow me at Jacob C. Hatch. It's my formal given name. I couldn't get Jake Hatch because somebody's parked on that Twitter handle. I'll, I'll get it one day. Anyways, in the meantime, we'll be back on the other side. Five minutes of, we're going to talk a little bit about Saki. We'll explain next. This is The Saturday Show. (music) 
Welcome back to the Saturday show here on the Zone Sports Network. I'm Yawk, that's Lundy. We are your co-host, Tandem, taking you through the top of the hour here. Show's flown by, honestly. Yeah, I mean, it always does, but it, it really, this time, it feels like we've been here for five minutes. <laughs> Big thank you to both David James as well as Steve Clout. He's just heard in the last segment for joining us today to talk about the life and legacy of Mark Eaton. Uh, just... It's, I, I wish this was under different circumstances. We had a lot of other things we wanted to cover in today's show, but obviously the news at hand obviously comes before all. Uh, Lundy, we had to send in from Rich, and he, he's at Rich4020395. Rich, you need to get a new Twitter handle. That's a very generic name, but a very interesting story all the same. I want to read this here, and then we'll get into our five minutes of. Here we go. I never met Mark Eaton, but the story I heard from Larry Miller when I was helping Larry put away tables and chairs after a family reunion. Larry shared a few stories about Daryl Griffith and others. Then this story came out. I hope I get it right. Mark was 33 years old and was in his contract year. The Utah Jazz had offered Mark a two-year contract. Mark agents countered with a four-year contract. They stated in an impasse. Larry said that he saw Mark in the locker room and went up to him and said, if this gets to be too bothersome, let me know and we'll get it settled. One day, Mark said to Larry, Larry, it's time. So Frank and Larry sat sat on one side of the table, and Mark and his agent sat on the other side. Larry presented the two-year offer. The agent presented his four-year offer. Larry's response, Mark is 33. That is when skills begin to diminish. The agent sat up, slammed his fist on the table, and answered, Skills? What skills? He can't run. He can't jump. He can't shoot. And he sure as hell can't. And he sure as hell ain't getting any shorter. (laughs) Frank and Larry looked at Mark, who with palms up just shrugged his his shoulders, and Larry then said, okay, you got your four-year contract. Classic. That is absolutely incredible. And the funny thing is, I believe this wholeheartedly happened, because I know how Larry Larry Miller interacted with players and whatnot. He had a lot of one-on-one negotiations with the players themselves. That's just... Man, I love that story. That is just beautiful. I everything about that is just it's just remarkable and I love that and like you said, I have zero like hesitation believing that. Yeah, Rich, thank you for sending in that. It was absolutely phenomenal to hear and I'm assuming he's related with Larry Miller at some point, Larry H. Miller at some level if he's at a family reunion with him helping him clean up, but Really cool story all the same. All right, let's get into our five minutes of. This is a segment we debuted last week where we hit some of the different topics that, shall we say, non-traditional sports radio topics? Is that probably the right term for it? Yeah, I think that's probably, you know, non-traditional, kind of somewhat overlooked, but still hold a very special place in Off the beaten path a little bit? Okay. All right, so last week we did both soccer and hockey, and one of our dedicated listeners, I mean dedicated, Clint, uh, Clint Knight on Twitter, many of you probably have seen him, Clint has been interacting with me for as long as I've been doing radio, it feels like, and came up with a brilliant idea. He said, call it Socky. I love it. It kind of sounds like a sock hop, yeah. but like a little bit like, you know, the new age kind of, you know, like <laughs> feels more modern and it incorporates, you know, sports that we're both passionate about. I, I yeah. like the name a lot. All right. So Socky means it's a combination of hockey and soccer. Lundy. What do we need to talk about? What do we need to know about NHL and or hockey overall this week? Well, so there's there's kind of two main points with the Stanley Cup playoffs that I want to hit. The first one, it's, you know, something that probably I only care about. So that's why I'm getting it out of the way first. Okay. Um, my Edmonton Oilers were swept. 
unfortunately. Very, very disappointed, especially considering that they have the best duo in the world between Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl. Uh, just weird. It was a weird series because when you hear uh, that somebody gets swept, you typically think that it wasn't competitive. And this this series very much was. Uh, the first game looked less like the, the final score doesn't look as competitive, but that's because the Oilers down one with like a couple minutes left decided to go empty net to try gotcha. to get that, you know, equalizing score. Mm-hmm. Uh, gave up two empty net goals there at the end of the game. Um, lopsided scoreline so, because of that. Yeah, at the final score makes it look like they got rocked, which wasn't really the case. Game two goes to overtime. They lose. Game three goes to overtime. They lose. Game four goes to triple overtime. And uh, Darnell Nurse set a new NHL record for the most amount of time on the ice in a playoff game. He played over 60 minutes in that triple overtime loss to be eliminated. Um, and the very next day, he and his wife welcomed in a new child. Um, okay, so, so congratulations on the new child. He's going to be tired for the next six months after, you know, skating. And it was, uh, I believe, games three and four were back-to-back nights. Okay. So. And uh, so, you know, he he did well over 20 minutes on the ice in game three, went over 60 minutes on the ice in game four. Brand new baby that's probably not going to let him or his wife sleep much for the next little bit. So, you know, Darnell Nurse, thoughts and prayers. You're going to be tired for a long time. As a dad of two kids under the age of five, I can say that's exactly what's going to happen. So, all right, anything else we need to know? Uh, So last night, game Mm -hmm. seven between the Vegas Golden Knights and the Minnesota Wild, Mm -hmm. uh, Vegas runs away with it in what was otherwise a pretty close series. Vegas won 6-2. to two. Well, didn't Vegas have a 3-1 series lead at one point and people were getting a little scared? I, I Minnesota did kind of, you know, they, they were pushing. I know that um, one of my really good buddies is a very strong Vegas Golden Knights supporter. Okay. Um, he was very nervous going into Game 7, uh, but Vegas put it away pretty handily. They now go into a second round matchup against the other close in proximity team, the Colorado Avalanche. Uh, I think the Avs are one of the, the strongest contenders in the Stanley Cup playoffs. I think that's going to be a great matchup. So locally, that one, I would say, has the most local interest because they are two teams that have close proximity to Salt Lake. Yeah, absolutely. So we'll see what happens in that series. Uh, switching over to the soccer side of things, I, I'm interested to see how Real Salt Lake does tonight. They have a rematch from their season opener at Minnesota United tonight out there at uh, Rio Tinto Stadium. Uh, that first match was, like some in some people's minds, marred. I thought it was highly entertaining with David Ochoa, RSL's young goalkeeper, booting the ball into the stand, into the quote-unquote wonder wall there at Allianz Field. And uh, Adrian Heath, the head coach of Minnesota United, took exception to it saying, well, that was pretty cheeky for a guy who's not that good. That guy happens to be playing for the U.S. men's national team currently, but hey, not that good, you know. But looking forward to that match tonight, 7.30 out there at Rio Tinto Stadium. Uh, if you're not going to be watching the Utah Jazz, you can watch Real Salt Lake play. Also, one other note is that uh, MLS, Major League Soccer, has hit uh, Inter-Miami CF, one of their uh, recent expansion teams, with the biggest uh, fine they've ever levied against a franchise. $2 million, and it's because they um, 
may or may not have uh, signed five players who go above. In, in Major League Soccer, they have a threshold for salaries called DP, designated players. You're allowed to have three. Well, Inter-Miami tried to get away with signing five. Um, if you're going to cheat, don't do it and flaunt the, uh, the salary cap rules that many other teams have abided by for many, many years and been just fine. But you're out there just saying, eh, whatever. <laughs> yeah, this isn't the NCAA. You know, like if, if you cheat openly, they're actually going to punish you for something. So, you know, it's... And, what was it? Two and a half million dollars? Is that what you said? Uh, so two million up front on the fine. And then over the next two seasons, so in Major League Soccer, they have a salary cap that you're allowed to spend up to. They have been docked $2.2 million across the next two seasons. It amounts to 11.9% of their overall ability of cap space over the next two years. Uh, they also issued a fine to Jorge Moss, who is the managing owner of Inter-Miami, $250,000. And just for comparison's sake, uh, the biggest fine previously handed out by Major League Soccer was a $150,000 fine handout in 2015 to none other than Real Salt Lake owner, well, then Real Salt Lake owner, and is it st- he's still the owner, technically, Deloy Hansen. He, was, uh, he made some comments about the ongoing CBA negotiations at that point and got hit with a $150,000 fine. That pales in comparison to $2 million the Inter-Miami got hit with here. So that's what you need to know about soccer on that front. Um, a couple of the notes here, Lundy. Uh, Alex Barcelo for the BYU men's basketball program, he announced last night at the BYU father and sons camp down there at the Smith Fieldhouse that he's coming back for another year to play for Mark Pope. That's big. It is. Uh, he's a first-team All-WCC performer from this past season, a guy that uh, has been a critical part of Mark Pope's early tenure at BYU. He brought him in as a transfer from Arizona, and uh, obviously he's done some really good things. This is a team that if COVID hadn't had its way, they would have made the NCAA two- tournament two years in a row. Uh, he did mention to us in the media last night that the bitter taste of losing to UCLA in the first round of the NCAA tournament very much was the chief reason why he came back to BYU for what will be a super senior year. Uh, some people may have heard about this, but the NCAA has given blanket waivers to all athletes participating in these sports. They can come back to their school, play another season, and will not count against the, the scholarship limits. In college basketball, it's 13 for BYU. So essentially, you have Alex Barcelo off to the side here as a 14th guy, but he'll be your starting point guard. Which is just such a great you know, asset to get back. If you can keep that, you know, keep one of your best players. Oh yeah. And not have it count against your scholarship limit. And so you're able to add additional depth back there and continue to build for when he does eventually leave. It's just huge. Yeah. So we'll see. I, I think it's going to a big time addition. They, they had hopes. I know it'd be what you had hopes of bringing Matt Harms back, their big man in the middle the transfer from Purdue. He decided it was time for him to move on and get into professional basketball and, I don't think they can uh, necessarily denigrate him for that one, but they'll be continuing to look in the transfer portal. They already have one guy coming in from the University of Milwaukee, T. John Lucas. Uh, so we'll see what happens. I, I, Mark Pope very much reloading and looking for another run. Up on up at Utah, I know that uh, Craig Smith, he's got his work cut out for him to get things kind of stabilized there, but he's already had success at two other universities. Why wouldn't we expect to have him to have success up on the Hill? Yeah, you know what? He's... Like he's been saying since he got hired at Utah, what don't we have? Yeah. Um, which I, I would say that right now he doesn't have a lot of the players that he's looking for since 
there's been a lot of transfers, but he is bringing in some transfers. So it'll be interesting to see how his first season goes and where he's able to build from there. Uh, unless I forget, our good friend Eric Jensen, who will be part of the Saturday show moving forward, is going to be producing for us, sent this in on Twitter. He said, hey, you guys got to make sure you mention this. Uh, the UEFA Champions League final is playing right now. They're in Porto, Portugal, if I'm not mistaken. Two English clubs, Manchester City as well as Chelsea, facing off in that league fi- in the Champions League final. Nil-nil uh, in the, I believe, just before halftime here out there in Porto. Uh, the fun part about this is Christian Pulisic as well as Zach Steffen Two American-grown players playing in this Champions League final. One of them is going to win a Champions League. That's really cool. You know, represent for for the home country here. Yeah, it does bring up a point. You know, that I like a question that I want to ask yeah. you because so as somebody who doesn't follow soccer very closely, sure. You know, once every four years for the uh, you know go USA in the World Cup. Yeah, well, when they're there. Yeah, Women's World Cup. I've been following a lot more recently because. Let's be honest, it's a better product for the U.S. because they're Mm -hmm. actually in it. Um, But what is it about the U.S. men's national team? Like, why have they struggled so much? Why do they consistently fall short over just these past handful of years? Because I remember, uh, you know, it's been a while now, but it, it looked like they were building and they were getting more and more successful. And then all of a sudden now they've missed World Cups. They've missed Olympics. So what's what's kind of going on there? Well, they so they missed out on an opportunity that the debacle of them not qualifying for the last World Cup in Trinidad and Tobago in that final match of what they call the Hex was just abysmal because that was essentially what I like to call the old guard. The the we're talking guys like Josie Alt Josie Altador might still be in the mix for this next World Cup cycle. Who knows? He's not necessarily in the mix. But the older guys, so we're talking the Kyle Beckermans, the Nick Romanos, if you want the Real Salt Lake connection, etc. That was kind of their last hurrah. And I think U.S. soccer kind of saw the writing on the wall and said, okay, we got to just, we got to get young. We got to turn this around. It's very much been a rebuild from the ground up. If you look at the roster of what U.S. soccer is playing with right now in these friendlies upcoming, etc., very, very young. Guys in their, some in teenage years, early 20s. If you're in your mid-20s or upper 20s, you're considered kind of an old dog when it comes to um, what's going on with U.S. men's national team right now. So very, very interesting to see how things go. I am very hopeful for the future of the U.S. men's national team with all the talent. Christian Pulisic and Zach Steffen are two of the major stars for the USMNT who are playing in this Champions League final. The hope is they continue to emerge over the coming years, and maybe at some point uh, the U.S. will get back to having success in the World Cup. Um, I just got good news. We are going to have another guest on the show coming up next. All right. The one, the only, the rock monster himself, Brad Rock, a guy who would know many, many things about Mark Eaton, just got back to me and said he can join us. We'll take a break here. We'll come back on the other side. The rock monster joins us on the Zone Sports Network. Welcome back to the Saturday show. Jay Catch, Alex Lundberg along for the ride. And Lundy, nice pull on the bump back music here. We are pleased to be joined now by Brad Rock, the rock monster himself. Brad, thank you for carving out some time for us. How are you, sir? I am good. Yes, I have time. I have nothing but time, so I'm happy to be here. It's, it's good to hear your voice. It's, it's been a minute. How, how, how is life treating you, sir? 
Well, it's good. I got back from Mexico a couple days ago. Uh, I get to take my own vacation time, Jake, whenever I uh, whenever I decide to. So it's it's doing well. I miss the uh, I miss the uh, people I worked with, like you guys, mm-hmm. and and uh, and the writing I miss. But uh, but it's a good schedule. I I would believe that. I believe it absolutely would be a good schedule. And Brad, I wish we were bringing you on on a happier note, but um, some tragic news today, learning of the passing of Mark Eaton. Uh, for many, many years, you were right there in the trenches with the Utah Jazz. Um, what uh, is kind of your initial thoughts, thought or thoughts about the life and legacy of Mark Eaton? You know, he just never, he never changed. He never forgot who he was. He never stopped being grateful. Uh, he never stopped being an approachable guy. Uh, <clears throat> you know, I saw him three weeks ago. I was on the way somewhere else uh, and saw him on the shuttle at the airport, and he was heading up to Montana, uh, I think it was for a, for a fishing trip, and looked as good as he always does. And, and we talked for a few minutes there on the shuttle, and uh, nothing had ever changed. And some other people on the bus saw him, and, you know, they kind of came up and said, nah, who's that tall guy? I know who he is. I know who he is. Mm-hmm. But he seemed so approachable uh, to everybody. And so he, he never changed that. But he was just a grounded, good person in, in every aspect. I think that right there is kind of the epitome of who Mark Eaton was, Brad. I didn't have a lot of interactions with him, limited in terms of just ma- mainly media. And you would see him here at Vivint Arena or back in the day, mm-hmm. Energy Solutions Arena or even far back, Del- the Delta Center. And it seemed like if, even if he were walking the opposite way, he was more than happy to stop and chat for a couple of minutes, kind of give you his thoughts on what's going on. And then you just kind of move on with your day. But you always came away thinking, okay, he is a large human being. There's no doubt about that. Seven foot four, but mm-hmm. he was never too big f- to take a moment and speak to anybody. Never too big. And, you know, I have, I've been thinking about him all day since I heard the news. And I do remember one night when I covered the Jazz and I was in Minneapolis. And the Jazz had played the game. And uh, as I recall, you know, everybody was pretty much gone. And I'd finished my story. And I walked out to the arena, <clears throat> out out to the court, and I see a group of a few hundred uh, young people. And, you know, they're standing on the court a couple of hours after the game. Mark was speaking to a small group of, I think it was a, a Christian youth group, uh, in the other team's arena. It wasn't for the jazz fans. It was the other team's arena, and he was that guy. Uh, when everybody else was done with work, uh, Mark went and donated his time to this group. So that kind of tells you tells you who he was. Uh, Brad, I'm sure that as you've seen and heard, you know a lot of people are sharing their experiences, um, mm-hmm. you know the different stories and things like that that they have of Mark Eaton. Uh, mm-hmm. But as someone who knew him well, you know, and interacted with him a lot, uh, what would you say would be the best way to honor his legacy for? those of, of us who in the, in this community feel impacted by this loss? Yeah, that's a, that, that's a great question. He, lo- he loved Utah. And, and I do remember uh, once uh, I was on the team bus, actually, with him after a game. It was one of those mornings in Southern California. <laughs> it was winter up here, <laughs> and it was sunny in North, uh, Southern California. 
And, uh, you know, I got, I got on the bus and I said, Mark, don't you ever wonder why you ever left here? He goes, no, no. He said, uh, I, you know, I, but until I moved to Utah, I thought standing in line at a bank or at a grocery store was just a way of life. Uh, standing in line all the time. He said, I love it up there. And, uh, you know, I, I, I don't know how you would honor him by doing that, but he loved Utah. He loved the area where he lived up in, in Park City, Jeremy Rand's area. And and he treated everybody, I think if we if we took anything from it, would say, you know, everybody matters to somebody. And uh, and he made sure you knew that, and he, he was never too big to sign autographs. I never saw him ever be rude. I never saw him turn down an autograph. And uh, and I think that is the, the legacy of Mark Eaton is, is that everybody matters. Brad, you spent many, many years covering games with the Utah Jazz. Are there any, uh, I don't know, particularly, I guess, what we'd say lighthearted moments that you had with Mark? You know, I can't think of him. He was always kind of gentle. He would have a gentle laugh. You know, no, it was, it, there wasn't often belly laughs, but I do remember this. Uh, see, I used, to, I used to ride on the team bus to games from the hotel, and mm-hmm. I never felt too comfortable doing that, except that Jerry liked it. And Jerry liked the media on the bus, so the players were accountable. Uh, you know, if they, if they weren't acting like he thought they should be. And so uh, I would go on the team bus, and, and one or two other people, Hot Rod Hundry would do it, and the Tribune writer would do it. And I, I was afraid I would miss a story if I didn't go on a team bus. But I do remember on the bus you would get on, and, and Mark and John Stockton would would be competing on crossword puzzles. And they'd have the newspapers out, and they would compete with each other. And, uh, and they would, uh, every once in a while, uh, try to see if I could find something on my laptop or something. I, I don't even remember at that time whether we were using laptop. I think we were using Radio Shack Trash 80s or something. But uh, anyway, uh, they, would, uh, they would compete with other, each other on on uh, on crossword puzzles that was that was good entertainment and those those guys were interested in uh, they were interested in the world around them see that's that's fascinating to me crossword puzzles of all things yeah yeah john and mark uh, mark would do that i think now there's one other thing i remember pretty clearly uh and we were you know i don't know how we got on it we were talking about big people tall people and you know uh I, I, I think I, I think I put my hand, my palm of my hand up and measured it to Mark's hand. And my hand was almost as big as his. He didn't have giant hands. And if you remember when he dunked, he just kind of rolled the ball over. He was tall enough, but he didn't, he didn't take it in one hand like Dr. J and dunk it. Mm-hmm. And, and he didn't have gigantic hands. And, I, and John put his hands up against Mark's and John's hands were bigger. Well, that, you know, that pretty well explains why John is the all-time assist leader in history. <laughs> he could pick up the ball in his hands. But that was, that was kind of entertaining to me that, that the seven-foot-four guy uh, didn't have gigantic hands, uh, and, and then the uh, six-foot-two guy, you know, uh, was able to use those, those great hands to become the all-time assist leader. That's absolutely... Oh, by the way, yeah. by the way, Mark Eaton... And John will be 
would be glad to uh, acknowledge this, and I, I've, I've heard him do it, but Mark Eaton, John is the all-time uh, steals leader as well, and, mm-hmm. and Mark Eaton made that happen. Not that John didn't have the skill, but John could gamble because he always had Mark at his back. Well, I think that, and we we talked to Steve Klauke earlier on on the show, and he kind of we I made the comparison that what John Stockton was able to do is able to gamble a little bit more on defense because he yeah. had a guy behind him to deter opposing players. It's similar to what the right. Utah Jazz have right now with Rudy Gobert. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah. very similar, and it allows guys to do things that they, you know otherwise you'd have to stay home and not take those uh, those risks. And then you had the guy with John with the quickness and skill uh, that could do it. And so it put John in the record books and, uh, you know, Mark maybe should have an asterisk there. And, uh, and uh, there's a footnote there. Hey, this is all made possible by Mark Eaton. Absolutely. Well, we are out of time, but Brad, I could go on with you probably for another hour and a half just talking about your memories of the Utah Jazz. But we'll have to save that for another day, all right? Okay. Nice to talk with you. Absolutely. That was Brad Rock, of course, longtime sports writer here in Utah, covering the Utah Jazz for many, many, many years. Uh, thank him for taking the time really on short notice to hop on with us. But it has been an absolutely incredible show, Lundy. I think we've had some great guests. Big ups to David James, Steve Klauke, and just barely Brad Rock, as you heard. Uh, love getting their guys their insight because you and I are relatively young guys. We don't necessarily have the same frame of reference that they have, but good to get kind of their insights on what is really a tragic loss of Mark Eaton. Right. You know, and I, I'm I'm glad that we were able to bring them on and that you know we've been able to have interaction with the fans uh, who have have let us know of their memories, their interactions, things like that. Uh, you know. A, a large man with a large presence that leaves now a large hole oh, yeah. in in our community. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. Well, we are out of time for this Saturday's show. Can't thank you all enough for tuning in. I hope you guys have a great day. Of course, uh, Utah Jazz Basketball will be on your airwaves. 6.30 pregame show with Jake Scott and Tim Lacombe. And of course, 7.30 tip-off between the Jazz and the Grizzlies. David Locke and Ron Boone will be on the call for that one. Big thank you to all of you. Alex, thanks for pulling double duty producing today. We'll be back next week. This has been the Saturday show right here on 97.5 FM, 1280 AM, and the Zone Sports Network.